listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show the lovely Rosemary Gillespie from Proof Communications. And today, Rosemary and I are talking all about how to win tenders, including government tenders, and how to win business awards. And we might just throw in a few legal tips there along the way as well. So, Rosemary, thank you so much for coming on board to chat to us today. My pleasure, Jo. Lovely to be here. Yeah, fabulous. Look, I think this is a really important topic. I want uh, I want you to talk about why you think it's an important topic. But first, I'll, I'll give my sort of synopsis. We have a lot of clients who are involved in responding to tenders. And uh, certainly, we also work on the other side in, in acting for clients who are using an RFP process. But from the flip side, I guess, so from the respondent side, when organisations are putting together tenders, it just feels so huge sometimes, right? And and it's almost like, well, here's an opportunity that maybe I'm not even going to try because it's just so huge. And, and I, I have to say, just this morning, I was on a phone call um, to a client who called and said, look, we're going to get you to help with our uh, tender response, but um, you know what? It's due on Tuesday and we've just realized it's too late. And of course, that is too late, <laughs> right? I mean, that probably, I think they made a good call. And I'm not just saying that because I didn't want the pressure of, of having to deliver in one day a um, complete review of the draft contracts that are often attached to these contracts, which is a whole discussion in and of itself. And perhaps I might do the next podcast in talking about what the sort of things are that we specifically look for and how we make that balance between what we should be pushing back against versus not in um, in the attached draft contracts. But I, I just think it's so important for businesses to understand what's involved and how they manage the process, but also how they can manage it in a way that they're not wasting their time by not giving themselves, you know, the right foot up. And, and I guess the same of business awards. I don't know a lot about that. So I'll be interested in that side of the conversation. But that's my perspective. And that's why I thought it'd be really good for us to chat today, Rosemary. So maybe you sitting in the seat of the expert working with these day in, day out, tell us what your thoughts are on why it's important for people to or businesses to understand this area. Well, for some businesses, there's no choice. They have no way of winning new business unless they're tendering or proposing or pitching in some way. Yeah. It usually involves submitting some kind of document, uh, usually in response to set questions from a request for tender or request for proposal. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Rosemary. So, you know, it's a really important way of winning business, but it's not just that. It's like there's this, I guess the second component of it is also there's this well of opportunity as well, but it just feels really unadaptable 
unobtainable, I think, for for small businesses yeah. who just don't have the in-house resources to just throw at tender prep. Exactly right. In fact, most of the companies we work with are SMEs mm. for that very reason. So if you're a larger company and you're having to do tenders as part of your business development, you probably have at least one people, possibly more, involved in your tender preparation process. Mm. Smaller businesses, no, it's... Unless they're doing tenders all the time, and as I've already mentioned, for some businesses, they have no choice but to tender to a new business. But for most companies, it's an occasional hindrance to their day-to-day work. It's something they have to do because, as you've rightly pointed out, there's opportunities out there, Mm. but they can be very overwhelming. And so if you don't have those in-house resources, where do you start? What do you do? Do you choose to ignore tender opportunity and keep focusing on what you've been doing? Or do you see it as a new business development opportunity to take advantage of? But again, that's a big decision because it does require a lot of investment of time, possibly money, and you have to weigh up the return on investment from that, the effort that's involved in getting the tender ready and getting it submitted on time. And but, but I guess the positives of being involved in the tender process is that, generally speaking, you're looking at big jobs, you, you know, so organisations won't go out to tender for something super small, well, generally speaking, because there's a lot of administration on their behalf as well to administer the process. So by by the very, uh, I guess, bars to, to getting involved, the, the jobs that you could win via tender uh, are either, number one, long-lasting, so that might be where you're looking to be appointed to a panel, um, or two, um, two highly lucrative, well, uh, you know, like a high-revenue-type project for a business. Well, it's mixed, of course, Joe. You're absolutely right. If you're a law firm or an accounting firm, you often tend to be a pan- on a panel, and it's often a government panel or that of a listed company. There's, of course, there's no guarantee that you will actually get any work or be offered the opportunity to, to put in a quote for any work yeah. even if you're on the panel. So that's the downside. So our clients are both tendering for panels, but also for projects or contracts that will only have one provider. Yeah. And as you rightly point out, they can be lucrative and they are for a fixed term. They're usually at least 12 months, but the majority will be three years plus one plus one. So potentially you've got five years there of regular work. Um, and it's if it's and if it's a government tender, you know you're going to be paid promptly. Mm, fabulous. Okay. All right. So I think we've fairly clearly set out a there's opportunities um, in being able to respond to tenders, uh, but b it's uh, it can be a painful process. It can be a very painful process. However, it's, it's a very manageable process, and yeah. there are certain things any organisation can do to make that process much easier, much less stressful on themselves. Good, and that's what we're digging into today, <laughs> Rosemary, and that's why you're here. So we're saying, look, here's the opportunity, but it can seem overwhelming. So rather than get fully overwhelmed, let's just chat about how to make it easier and what to focus on because I guess there's two components there, isn't it? There are. So the most obvious thing is to read all the documents, like literally print them off and go and get a cup of tea, sit down, read them all. And that includes the contract, of course, as you mentioned right at the start, Joe. Mm. Contract is a really important part of the process and I always recommend to clients that they read the contract first to see what their level of compliance is going to be. Mm. Because if you're tendering and your compliance is not going to be particularly high, there's no point in actually tendering. So if you're considering tendering and your level of compliance is not going to be very high, 
there's no point in tendering. No one wants to take on an organisation that's asked to make, you know, changes to 50% of the clauses in the contract. Mm. Although I, I just have to step in there. I think it is important that organisations understand that the, the, the contract that is attached isn't, you know, fixed in stone. It's not actually always the case. Some tenders will say, state very clearly that this contract is not negotiable. Mm. Some other requests for tenders will state that the contract is negotiable and they'll ask you to put in your amendments to the clauses that you'd like to change. But they will also say that one of the evaluation criteria will be your level of compliance with the contract, indicating that if you have a lot of changes and another organisation doesn't, but is perhaps other offers equally beneficial outcomes or results in their tender, then they're going to go to another organisation. Yeah, just, you know, piping in here from a legal perspective, because we have certainly sat on the other side of the fence as well um, for for very large organisations. And I I just think, like, it's often an indicator um, where where there's the option for organisations to highlight areas that they might want changes to a contract. It can be a little bit of a red flag sometimes if someone, a small business is not asking for any changes to a contract and yet large business respondents are asking for heats. And th- sometimes that can actually raise a red flag in relation to considering the um, risk and compliance environment of the respondents because, you know, a failure to respond to suggest any sort of changes at all, sometimes can be seen as though, well, have they actually read and do they understand? (laughs) Exactly why I say to clients right at the start, have you read the contract? If not, that's the first thing you've got to do. Yeah. Anything else happens. And I think there's a whole other discussion, which we won't have now because we're talking about writing winning tenders, but but there's a whole other discussion here about how you can manage the risk within tenders and your responses from the perspective of there's commercial ways to manage risk as well as legal. And, you, you know, it's important that you understand the risk and you find commercial ways that you can deal with that risk as well as potentially contractual. And as you say, sometimes you might be limited as to what you can do contractually. Okay, well, I can't help it. I always feel like I need to throw in the legal elements here, but let's talk more about the elements that relate to how you're actually going to win um, this this tender. What are some of the things that you recommend we should be focusing on? Well, the first thing, actually, something that nearly every tenderer will overlook, and that is taking a few minutes out Think about what value they're offering. What's their value proposition? Most organisations will respond to a tender opportunity by launching in and starting frantically writing responses to the questions. So mm. we always recommend that clients take a deep breath, stand back and actually have think about what are we going to offer in this tender? What value are we proposing to bring to this organisation? And just even if it's five minutes, it's really worthwhile because that gives you a, an angle or a hook, if you like, to convey in your tender, in your executive summary, and then to feed throughout your actual tender response. Okay, fabulous. So make sure you understand your value. And, and I guess that's, you know, that's part of the concept of make sure you're actually pitching yourself, not just answering the questions. So I guess that's, you know, that's an important thing because it can be so 
easier to get lost in the detail and not be able to see the wood for the trees. That's so right. Yeah, and you know that deadline's looming and you just want to get everything down there. You want to get your experience down, your people, your team. You want to work out your pricing. But it's a really good Really good investment of time. And as I say, Joe, it can only you might only need five minutes, but you just mm. need to think yourself or have a chat with your team about what are we actually offering this potential client or client if they're an existing client. So what are we actually offering? What are they asking for in the tender? What can we offer that will make our tender stand out? It might not be anything revolutionary or overly innovative, but it has to be something. And the best value propositions are those that demonstrate tangible outcomes or mm. results mm. people can quantify um, based on their experience of their work that the projects they've done with other clients they know that they can save this potential client time or money or it might be something to do with experience whatever it is it needs to be well thought out right at the start. Great. Okay. So we start with value, our value proposition, effectively our pitch, you know, make sure we're really clear on, yeah. on that. Okay. So it's number one. What's number two? Well, following on from that really, number two is making sure you're really clear about the evidence you're going to, you're giving for your claims, for your value. So, and that ties in with features and benefits of which most people are familiar. So a lot of tenders, even someone from a really strong marketing or business development background, their tenders will still often focus on the features of the product or service they're offering. So, and that's important, of course, but they forget to focus on what that means for their potential client. What are they going to get out of their product or service? So what's in it for them? What what are the benefits? What are the outcomes? What are the results? And so that ties back to that value proposition, but you also have to give really hard facts. And it's the same if you're writing a business award. You need to talk about how you've delivered that for other people or the results you've achieved or, or brought or the savings of time or the new product a new service, how you've reduced their stress, whatever it might be, or reduce their risk, for example, whatever it might be, you have to, as far as you can, quantify it. Mm. And so what's an example, like, do, do you have any examples of the types of things that you see quite often and and then, you, you know, or maybe even one example of something you've worked in the past for a response that's come to you and then you've looked at it and gone, oh, okay, this is what they're really missing in the value proposition or the um, features and benefits. Just as a general point, it comes to value, value propositions. They're almost always missing from a tender. So even if you've got one, you, you've got a head start. As an example, one of our clients which is an, the Australian arm of a, a large global organisation, uh, tenders frequently to government and is very successful at doing so because they have become, with our help, very adept at describing, the, number one, the experience, but two, the risk minimisation that they bring. So, for example, what they do is quite technical. It requires a lot of equipment, so it can be quite risky for people buying mm. into that service. Um, and they are able to demonstrate uh, by giving very tangible examples that, number one, uh, they no injuries on any of their sites. Number two, the experience of the, of the team, the examples of the other projects they delivered are absolutely outstanding. And so they really maximise the risk minimisation benefit of that mm. tender. Which is so important. And I'm glad, like, what a great example, because I think, I think sometimes businesses make the mistake of thinking that tender is all about price but it's not at the end of the day quite often well, sometimes it can be but more often than not it's actually a complex mix of factors that and there's a lot of 
you know, if you get your pitch right, your value proposition, and you're clear about the benefits, that can then put you in the position where you can have higher pricing and still, you know, be a really serious front runner. Exactly right. So you've summed it up really well there. It's the value proposition, it's the benefits, but thirdly, it's what those benefits result in. Mm. Um, So what are the tangible outcomes that that client, prospective client's going to gain by choosing your company? And that goes back to giving really hard evidence from previous examples. So another example might be that by using your service or product, you save 10 hours a week or you save X number of dollars a week Mm -hmm. per staff member or per year. And so that's why quantifying with facts and figures is so much more powerful than saying um, we save people money or we'll save you time. Yeah, yeah. Any facts and figures. Now, of course, that's not always possible. If, particularly if you're delivering a service. Mm. So one way around that is to talk about, again, the outcome. Mm. Okay, so we've talked about the value proposition. We've talked about making sure we spell out the benefits um, and also the outcome um, and putting proof behind that, which I think is such a good point. Um, what, what else should they be thinking about? Okay, well, one of the great things about making your tender writing process easier is if you've got your value proposition up front, everything else will sort of slot into that. And, mm. um, but, of course, you still have to put pen to paper in, or you know, fingers to the keyboard, so you still have to write <laughs> the response. And what we've found over the years is that the more people that are involved in the tender, the more difficult it is to achieve a really high-quality response. Mm. And the deadline is often looming and people are getting more and more stressed and there's a lack of agreement around the content and examples Mm -hmm. and team members. So depending on the size of your organisation, you need to always have somebody to lead the tender Mm -hmm. who has authority within your organisation to get sign-off and to get buy-in and who, if you're a large organisation, you've got lots of subject matter experts, for example, contributing information, then you need one person to lead that and coordinate all of that and have the authority to chase people up. Because obviously people are trying to do their day-to-day job, so that's always a priority to them to give you the information you need for your tender. If you're a small business, it's much easier in that sense, less people involved and often the BD, marketing, or even the director of the company is leading the tender. So always, depending on your organisation, make sure you've got someone to lead the process. Second thing is, of course, it's actually when you come to writing is to making sure that you are answering the question. So one of the things we do all the time is answer the questions, but position our clients using their value proposition that we've agreed up front, positioning them for the best opportunity for success. So it's a interesting mix of answering often quite pedestrian questions and a Mm. sales marketing document at the same time. Mm. So again, it comes back to saying uh, when they ask a question, yes, we can do that. And this is how we've done it for other people. And this is the results they've achieved. Bearing in mind as well that you are writing to another human being. And one of the biggest um, mistakes we see in tenders, apart from the lack of value proposition, is the complete focus by the client on themselves in their tenure. Yeah, that's such a good point, isn't it? Every paragraph will start with their company's name or the word we. Mm. Uh, We've read so many tenders that have been written up by our clients when they've called us in to help. We've looked at their previous tenders and we found that we don't even know to which organisation they were tendering because they haven't mentioned the client's name in any of their tenders. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) 
it's quite extraordinary from our perspective that when people start writing, they forget that they're talking to other people. So mm. it's very important to address your client, prospective client, in your tender. Use their name. Use words like we or our or us in terms of your collaboration with them. Fabulous. I think it's such a good point that you make there, Rosemary. Absolutely. And I guess it sort of feels a little bit like we're talking about marketing 101 here, but I think it's like it's so important because the point of all of this is that people forget that this is a marketing document as well. Even though maybe that's clear at the beginning, but it's just, I think, the detail that is required in terms of, you know, potentially the, the number of questions or, or what you're needing to think about sort of then takes over in our brains and sort of overrides the reminder that we should have that this is essentially a marketing document. It absolutely is. And I think the other challenge as well is that the people, people in all any companies of all shapes and sizes who are writing tenders don't necessarily have a marketing background or don't have that mindset or business development. They might often be a salesperson or the owner of the business mm. and or just someone who's unfortunately um, being tasked with the challenge of writing a tender and they don't have any experience and it's natural to talk about yourself because that's what you know best yeah instead of flipping it and thinking actually I'm talking to someone else what do they want to know what would they be interested in how can I communicate to this to them Mm. clearly and efficiently answer the question but position ourselves but make sure it's all about them Mm. so as well as the value proposition often lacking the other thing Joe is as I've just said is the lack of focus on the client prospective Mm. client Mm, such good points. And I guess, you know, I'd throw in one here as well, which is time management. I think time management is probably a really important component as well. And I, I sort of alluded to it as I was talking about um, the idea of being able to get together a, um, a tender in two days, which is never going to happen. But even if you've started down the process, like it's just making sure everyone starts on time and who's going to do what component and then making sure each component is you know, you've worked through on time. And if you're getting legals, like give legal enough time (laughs) to look at it, you know, because otherwise I I think, you know, generally speaking, do you know many projects that aren't all crazy right at the last couple of days? (laughs) Everything, isn't it? It's like the more time you have or the more money you have, the more time you you use up. It's like uni um, assignments, people doing them the night before. Yeah, isn't it? It's a bit like that. It's a bit like a But what tips do you have then on on time management? Because I think the reality is that's probably just such a common issue. It's not funny. (laughs) It is a very common issue. And going back to the point I made earlier about having someone to lead the tender, that is really important. Whether it's you're a small company and there's only two people involved in your tender or whether you're in a large organisation and there's 20 people involved, you need someone to lead it. And and that means driving it. So Mm. Very, we do a very simple milestone plan at the beginning of a tender working back mm. from the deadline. And, of course, you have to be absolutely certain you know when that tender's due in, what mm. time of day particularly. Oh, I must say there's lots of interesting case law about that actually, but I'm not, I'm not going to launch into right now but it's interesting because you really need to be aware of what time zone time zone yeah, yeah that's right because and it's not necessarily 5 p.m either we've had one due in today that was well it was due in it right now actually at midday so yeah well that I mean that can be something that you can totally miss if you're not if someone hasn't you know really clearly specified that up front right? exactly or you haven't read the documentation properly or you think someone else is looking after that 
Mm. So you need to have one person driving that tender, working out a very simple time frame, milestone plan, starting from the deadline and working backwards to where you are now, the day you're on now. What are the key components? When do you, when do they need to be um, provided? If you're writing the whole thing, clearly you have the all the control. But if you're relying on subject matter experts or other mm. colleagues to provide info, you know, when do you notify them? What deadline do you give them? Obviously, you've got to give some a buffer because people won't get your deadline. Yeah, I was going to say make sure you're building yeah. a little bit of extra time because we know people don't <laughs> meet deadlines. Yeah. They don't. And you also have to consider too when you're getting information from different people, everyone writes in a slightly different style yeah. or voice. Yeah. And so you, you're pulling together content into one document. You need to make some time to edit that to make sure it speaks with one voice. Mm and proofreading to make sure terms are consistent, mm. make sure there's no typos, errors, because those can slip through very, very easily. Mm. Well, look, thank you so much for all of this information today. Are, are there any, have we missed out on anything or do you think we've covered the field? I think the main points we've covered off have been really, really important, the value proposition, mm. focusing on the benefits and outcomes, hard evidence to back those up, time management, clear leadership, and making sure you factor in some time for editing and proofreading. Mm. Even if you've read it yourself, get someone who you work with to read through it before you submit it because we can't see our own typos or our own grammatical mistakes. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a massively important point as well. And that's, that's almost, I mean, that's taking over the skill set into this editing sort of skill set as well, which, you know, quite often the people who are working on the tenders themselves don't have that skill set. So it's about recognising the skill sets that you don't have and when to bring in, you know, people to assist that have the skill sets that are missing. That's exactly right. And I think that's why people, well, it's one of the many reasons why people find tenders so challenging, not mm. not least, of course, the amount of paperwork involved, particularly from the government or the <laughs> documents you have to read and comply with. But in addition to that, working out a value proposition is not always as easy for some people. Writing is not people's natural forte. Mm. Pulling together a tender involves many different skill sets. There's the management, the time management, there's the leadership, there's writing skills, there's editing, proofreading, checking the compliance, being prepared to sit down and read all the documentation, which is why, again, it's often good to have other people to back you up and give you some support through that process. Brilliant. Okay, wonderful. So we've talked mostly about tenders. Um, so let's just give a couple of minutes very quickly to winning awards as well. I, I guess the first thing to say is there's probably a lot of overlap between what we've been talking about with tenders and winning awards. We don't have a lot of involvement from the legal perspective because uh, the, I, I don't think there's much of a legal perspective related to awards, but I'm really interested in this and I think our um, listeners are probably interested in understanding this as well. And probably when businesses are thinking about awards, they've probably, you know, right in the beginning, if they've not been through the process of thinking about how to prepare for applying for an award, what are the, what are the things that they should be aware of right off the bat? That's a really good question, Joe. And the first thing, just like tenders, is time. Mm. Writing an award entry is much less arduous than writing a tender, mm. but it still takes time. And these things always take longer than we think they're going to take. Mm. Um, so the first thing is making sure we've got enough time. And that includes factoring in time for editing and proofreading, perhaps by a colleague, 
just to make sure that there's nothing, nothing's been overlooked, there's no typos or grammatical mistakes, everything makes sense. Because when we write content ourselves, we can't, as I've said before, we can't always see our mistakes. So factoring mm. time for review. The second thing to think about is who is actually going to write the award. Okay, mm. so a lot of people feel uncomfortable about writing an award entry for themselves. Mm. So the awards we work on are all business awards, but they vary between awards for individuals awards for a team, awards for a project or awards for a company. And so if you've been nominated as an individual and you might be thrilled to be nominated and but then you're faced with having to answer questions about your achievements, how you've helped other people, your goals for the future, it can be a little bit confronting for a lot of people to have to write information that sells themselves as individuals. Mm. So think about who's going to write that award entry for you. Do you need to get someone else to write about you? that you can then edit and tweet. That's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, what a great idea. It's probably back to the things you were talking about with tenders, which is, you know, understand your value proposition in in terms of, you know, why you would be the right person to win the award and, um, you know, understand the benefits that you're driving and probably include outcomes. Am I right? Is this all? Yeah. So that's the third thing is you've got to give evidence. Um, when I've spoken to judges from all sorts of awards, they've said, we read through all these submissions and people talk about how great they are or the return on investment they bring to their clients or how they've done this with their staff, but they never give any facts or figures around those achievements mm. or deliverables. And so, again, you've got to give hard facts. You've got to explain how you've grown the business. Um, so, again, you've got to give hard facts. If you've grown your business, explain by how much. You might not mm. want to give dollar, dollar figures, but you can give percentages. Yep. Um, if you've coached your staff through some tricky situations or you're just mentoring someone give examples of some of the advice and outcomes you've given if you've introduced an innovation to your business to perhaps a a process a new process or a product or service explain how that has benefited your staff or your customers if you've made contributions to local community again put hard facts around that perhaps fundraising amounts or events you've sponsored the outcomes of those if you've, that's increased your business or increased the number of leads or inquiries, put hard facts, numbers, percentages around those. It's much, much more powerful than just saying, oh, we we had a really great year and we did some sponsorship and we took on three new staff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Rosemary, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on today to give us um, the lowdown on how we make those tenders and award applications, winning ones, which, of course, is the point <laughs> and, and the point not to shy away from it. Um, if people, if our listeners are looking for someone like you to help them out with this process, how do they find you? They can find me on LinkedIn, Rosemary Gillespie, or they can, of course, go to our website, which is www.proofcommunications.com.au. Absolutely fabulous. Thank you. So what we'll do is we'll put those details in the show notes. So if you are running along the beach right now, good on you, um, or on your commute to or from work, don't worry. Um, I don't want you to have a car accident trying to write that down. You'll find it in the show notes. And of course, on our website, which is talkinglaw.com. 
www.abc.org.au. Through that website, you'll also be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read back through everything Rosemary has told us today about tenders and award applications. Um, And there you'll also be able to find out how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you uh, or your clients um, would like any assistance with the legal elements of tenders. So, Rosemary, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure, Joe. Thank you for having me on. It's been wonderful. Thank you. My absolute pleasure. And thanks to you, our listening audience. Now, if you enjoyed what you heard today, don't forget to hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player and join us for our next episode of Talking Law. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Are you looking for a top quality legal team to assist you in your organisation? Aspect Legal is an innovative commercial legal practice that specialises in providing fast and professional services for their clients. If you'd like to chat about how we might be able to assist you, simply head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au to book in a time for a free discussion with one of our lawyers. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.